walking with Jesus, serving with love, sharing with courage. Welcome to the Pecom Podcast. I'm Dan Van Voris, now something of a, a regular on this podcast, and especially as Pastor Courtney is on sabbatical, it will be Jeff and I who will be uh, sort of taking the reins on the podcast uh, this fall. I very much enjoyed the August Best Of series, especially as a newer guy to the church. I've been able to not only listen to those, but listen to to past podcasts to kind of see what is, has happened uh, in the church, and I especially uh, do like learning in this format. Uh, as you know, this is what I do for a living. I'm a, a, a podcaster. Last week was great with Jeff leading us through prayer, um, contemplative prayer. I'll be honest, when I heard 10 minutes, I thought, whoa, um, as a teacher and someone in a small group, I know that that two minutes is a long time. And so the 10 minutes seemed daunting. And, and so I, I took Jeff's advice and, and took a little walk. And it was it was really great. You might know I am a historian and teacher by trade. I've been podcasting for about 10 years. In the last four years, I've been almost solely podcasting, a, a daily podcast called The Christian History Almanac, about five to seven minutes a day with a, a reading of scripture at the end. And earlier this year, I began something called The Weekend Edition. And that's a time for me to kind of spread my wings a little bit and to tell stories that are a, a little bit longer and to, to contemplate the significance of the stories and especially to pick out stories that resonate with me. My daily show works a little bit like a lectionary, right? It's a, an on-this-day format, and so while I have some freedom in what stories I can tell, I have a somewhat limited scope, but on the weekend, I get to pick whatever I want, and so recently, I've got to do some research and tell the story of Charles Schultz, the creator of Peanuts and His Faith, and the story of the Italian Medici family, and uh, the story of Keith Green and, and others, just to name a few. And as I was getting ready for my most recent show, I thought I wanted to tell the story of Henrietta Mears, one of the most important women in church history in the 20th century, also one of the most overlooked, and one with connections to PECOM and to the Presbyterian Church in our area. And so while I told the story for the weekend edition and that broad audience, I thought I would tell a, a kind of condensed version of her story on this podcast and then reflect on uh, how it really resonated with me, especially as a, a new member of, of PECOM. My family, we've been coming for about a year and a half. We are our members now. This past winter, both of our sons went to Forest Home to uh, the winter camp. We couldn't do the, the summer camp this summer because we, uh, we were busy, but Forest Home is someplace that my wife and I went to as campers and counselors, and so it's very uh, near and dear and us, uh, to us as well. So I don't like to repeat stories that often, especially if I've already published something on them, but I want to briefly revisit the story of Henrietta Mears. So for you, it can be a repeat or maybe for the first time. And then let's think about some connections and some implications for her life and our life together in the gospel and at PECOM. So let me break this down. Here are 10 things that you want to know about Henrietta Mears. Number one, she was born in 1890 
in Fargo, North Dakota. Her mom's side was filled with pastors and church workers. Uh, Dr. W.W. W. Everts was a big Chicago pastor. That was her, her grandpa. Her father's side was also Christian, but her dad was a little bit of a scoundrel at times. He got caught up in the, the rough-and-ready world of banking and the western frontier, and he probably cut a few too many corners, and he would spend some time in jail. She doesn't talk a lot about him, or when she does, it's not as, as sort of warm as it is her, her mother's side. Uh, her family, because of the, the banking operations, would move around. Eventually, they would make their way to Minneapolis, where they would attend First Baptist Church. And here, Henrietta would make a confession of faith just before her 10th birthday. Uh, number three, she thought she would become a missionary. After all, this was one of the, full-time, the, the only full-time jobs you could have as a woman in the church. But she felt that she was never called, never specifically called abroad. No one, uh, it was never neither an external call nor an internal call. And so she decided to go to the University of, of Minnesota, those, those golden gophers who were having quite the, the football season so far. Uh, she studied chemistry there. And, and that's fascinating, right? Because now we're in the 19-teens. And she could have gone to her church's Bible college, um, but she didn't. She instead went to a secular college to study the natural sciences. And this at the time of the kind of fundamentalist, modernist controversy. The, the Scopes monkey trial over teaching evolution in school is, is coming up. And so uh, while some Christians would flee the secular world, uh, Henrietta jumped right into it. And she thought that if you have faith, it will stay with you. Um, you know, she talks uh, about college kids going to faith, and I, I, or going to, ch- to college, rather, and keeping their faith. And I think that uh, her point being that if you, if you make sure you have a solid faith, uh, you, can, you can do all kinds of things and study all kinds of things. And so she would uh, get her degree in chemistry and then become a, a teacher and principal. Point number four, she would eventually make her way back to Minneapolis, where she became a very popular teacher and administrator, and then started working on the staff of that First Baptist Church where she was was baptized and came to faith. And here, she put together uh, a Sunday school. Now today, sometimes when we think of Sunday school, we think of kids, or we think of maybe just an hour, maybe between services or, or some such. But this would be something for all ages with an extensive church curriculum and, and social functions and, and a Bible study and, and fellowship. And, and here, if you, if you don't know, here's my opportunity to plug uh, Bible studies and small groups at PCOM, where Pastor Courtney writes the Bible studies and then they correspond with the Sunday services. It's actually kind of in that same vein, and you can, uh, you can get plugged in. And I, I highly recommend it. As a matter of fact, I think it's really how Beth Ann and I plugged into PCOM when we first started coming. We we joined these small groups and have, have gotten to know a, a whole bunch of nice people. So that's number four. She's a teacher, administrator, and has a Sunday school at First Baptist in Minneapolis. Number five, a pastor from First Presbyterian Church in Hollywood came to be a guest preacher at Mears's church. And that's interesting in and of itself because it's a Presbyterian at a Baptist church and uh, we don't always see that kind of crossover, but here there was in the 1920s. And this Presbyterian pastor was so impressed with the, the, the job that Henrietta had done with the Sunday school, he offered her a full-time job in ministry, putting together a similar program at Hollywood Press. She wouldn't have to teach anymore. Uh, this would be her full-time gig. It's kind of the thing she thought she was called to 
years ago. And so number six, in 1928, she took that job. The Sunday school would become, according to some, the largest in America with thousands, um, thousands upon thousands. It would grow exponentially. She had a, a full staff of trained leaders and teachers and volunteers. And she focused on everything from children to seniors, but especially on young people and uh, a college ministry. And this is where we're going to see a lot of her, uh, you know, her people, her boys and girls, as they were called, would learn from her and then become leaders and then spread out into the wider church. Number seven, she was in Hollywood. And if you know Hollywood Press, it is downtown Hollywood. And this uh, is the golden age of Hollywood, right? This is the 1930s. And there were many Christians who thought that there is nothing about Hollywood that can be redeemed or saved. And so she shocked a bunch of people by starting a special ministry for Hollywood stars, people that wouldn't be comfortable coming to church because they'd be, you know, accosted for, for autographs, but also didn't want to just be with their, you know, non-Christian co-stars. And so uh, this ministry, the Hollywood Christian Group, the HCG, uh, would be quite significant, names like Roy Rogers and Jane Russell and others. And um, she's kind of showing her, her unorthodoxy, in that sense, of reaching out to people that others weren't reaching out to. Number eight, there were some in the Presbyterian Church that didn't care for Miss Mears. They didn't think she was Presbyterian enough. Uh, she would even refer to herself at some times as a, a Baptarian, a kind of Baptist-Presbyterian uh, hybrid. Uh, she kind of looked for a middle way between different groups of, of people, and she wasn't an ordained minister, and so she had the freedom to do this. Now, the, the national denomination, for this reason, wouldn't publish her Bible studies, and so she actually printed her own, and they would go out on to, to outsell anything that the denomination uh, had. And these were, were, were really uh, popular Bible studies used across denominational lines. And it was in the same vein that she wanted a retreat center, a camp. Now, Christian camps and camps in general uh, were, were kind of new at the turn of the century, um, in both secular and sacred contexts, you see these camps sort of starting to dot uh, the United States. And while the Presbyterian Church had camps, she wanted something that was closer, something that was more uh, easily accessible to, to Hollywood Press in Southern California. And so she went uh, looking at various campsites in uh, the mountains here in Southern California, and she comes across one called the Forest Home Outing Company, uh, if you've been to Forest Home and you've seen the old pictures, you know it was quite the swing in place. They had a dance terrace and a mini golf course created by a, a famous architect. And it was it was a, a happening camp for a, a certain set of Southern Californians. And uh, Henrietta loved it, but thought, oh, well, we can never afford this place. It was valued at over $300,000. She tried putting together a... Um, almost like a timeshare type thing where, where she would buy it, but decided, no, it needed to be all for church work. So she decided to not uh, go for it. Uh, soon after, there was a, a storm and a, a flood, and the camp was, was devastated. And they ended up calling her and saying, well, would you buy it for $30,000, which uh, is something else from 300000 to 30000 And so this would become Forest Home, the camp that that perhaps you've been to, a camp that has meant so much uh, to so many people. And, and in the 1940s and 50s, it was a real hot spot for the new evangelicals. 
the new evangelicals were Christians that didn't want to be fundamentalists insofar as they saw fundamentalists as kind of anti-culture and, and fighting culture wars. They, they didn't necessarily want to go sort of mainline progressive the same way others did. And so these new evangelicals needed a home, and they found it with Miss Mears, and they found it at Forest Home, and they would have uh, giant meetings there. And of course, uh, this would be one of the launching pads for Billy Graham. Uh, he was speaking there, and Henrietta said, he's the guy to hitch your wagon to. And uh, the men she was working with said, okay. And uh, pretty soon the Billy Graham Crusades began. It's also uh, where Campus Crusades started and, and Young Life. And if you know these things, um, you, you might know just how important they are in the history of Christianity in Southern California and then in America. And, and this is really, this is number 10. She would mentor thousands and thousands, and those would mentor hundreds of thousands. And so her fingerprints are not just all over Forest Home, but all over the Presbyterian Church USA, and especially the PCUSA in Southern California. As I was uh, doing the, the research for that weekend show on Henrietta and Forest Home and the Presbyterian Church USA, what really struck me was the number of scholars, of historians of Christianity, who recorded and, and made note of just how different PCUSA churches were or could be in Southern California. That there was something that emanated from her influence, from Hollywood press, uh, even as people would go to, to seminary, and uh, whether it be Princeton or Fuller or other places, that there was this, this legacy of Henrietta Mears in the spirit of the PCUSA in the second half of the 20th century. And of course, this is the, the fertile ground from which uh, PCOM uh, sprung. Now, I, I alluded to it a second ago, but back in the 30s, there is a schism the fundamentalist modernist schism, where churches broke apart. This is something I've dealt with uh, as a historian a, a good bit. It is uh, kind of the theological civil war in the Protestant church uh, in, in the 20th century. And it's, um, it's tragic, absolutely. Uh, the PCUSA, of course, had already dealt with the actual civil war and splitting between northern and southern. And then in the 1920s, in the 1930s, there's another schism. And so you have some people that break off from Princeton Seminary and they start something called Westminster Seminary and something called the OPC, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. It gets really complicated. It's like a, a family tree that, that uh, is, is, is sort of bent and withered and, and unfortunate. And, and sometimes we see this in terms of, of left and, and right, but on the granular level, it's never quite that easy. The division amongst the Presbyterians is one of the great stories, uh, great, I mean big, but tragic, in 20th century church history. The splits weren't done with a spirit of love or charity, and it caused endless divisions. Um, as someone who used to take a, a chalk to chalkboard and, and sort of draw out the family trees for students of American denominations, there's something really devastating about the Presbyterians in particular. I've explained it like the, the small crack in your window shield that, that soon starts to expand across uh, the glass. And it's a legacy that has unfortunately caused distrust 
and division. And if you've been in the Presbyterian Church, either PCUSA or PCA or OPC or, or uh, now ECO, you know that these can be really difficult. These can be hard. And part of this is the unfortunate legacy of division in the Presbyterian Church in the 20th century. And so here is kind of the great legacy of Henrietta Mears. She would influence those people, those people that came from her sort of training and her, you know, her family tree were, were interested in fighting the bitter divisions. They were interested in finding a, a middle way. So as I'm coming across all these different sort of Presbyterian notes, and, and especially in Southern California for uh, my weekend show, there are things that I wasn't going to bring up in particular, um, but I thought I, I'd love to talk to, to, uh, to those of us at PCOM about this, um, about not only my, my personal history with uh, this sort of particular vein of Presbyterianism in the 20th century, but also what it means uh, for PCOM. Um, so there was a, a youth pastor at Hollywood Press, and he came to be the head pastor uh, in the 1980s, late 80s, at Irvine Presbyterian Church. His name was uh, Mark Roberts. Our guest preacher last weekend, uh, Leanne, she actually quoted him in the sermon. And so it's like, hey, that's our old pastor. And when he came down to Irvine Press from Hollywood Press, he brought a former student of his, a man named Tom Gastel. And Tom was going to be the youth pastor. Uh, he had gone to Presby uh, Princeton. And so Mark and Tom from Hollywood Press became my pastor and my youth pastor. And Tom is the one who uh, brought me to Christ, and Mark is the one who baptized me. So I have a very, very personal connection to Hollywood Press and Henrietta Mears and 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 Forest Home. And uh, eventually, I I uh, went off to, to graduate school, and I became involved in the the Lutheran world as I was a professor at Concordia for uh, Concordia University in Irvine for for ten years. And then that time came to an end, and I took on my job where I get to tell stories and I get to podcast, and, and then COVID hit, and, and uh, a pastor at our old church left, and we, and we were looking for a church. And I've, I've told the story before, I won't tell it again, uh, but through God's leading, we came to PCOM. And I remember I came the first Sunday by myself, and I came to the first service, and I, I sat there, and I thought, this, this feels a lot like Irvine press. This, this has a, there's something here. It's, it's the same kind of spirit, not just that the architecture looks the same or the music was somewhat similar, but it had a certain feel. And so I, I remember going out to lunch with Pastor Daryl and uh, asking him about PCOM and what he has seen in his eight years and what he knows institutionally. And he mentioned something that I have seen pop up in research over and over again, and that is there's something different about the PCUSA between Santa Barbara and San Diego, this West Coast Presbyterianism. And it really is, is neither right nor left. It's evangelical in the best sense of the word. And one of the things I've learned in studying denominations is that while you can use these big categories and say, well, that's a PCUSA church or that's an LCMS church or it's a whole alphabet soup, the best thing you can do is go and see what's happening on the ground. So as something of a, a new guy here at PCOM, uh, who has been able to see it and obviously see it in the context of church history and, and local church history, 
it has really struck me how the spirit of Henrietta Mears, that kind of middle way in the Presbyterian church, has infected in a, the best possible way PECOM. It's, it's no wonder we send our kids and our families to, to Forest Home, that there's something about this kind of warm, evangelical world that is at our church. And, and I do want to note, 2022 isn't 1950, and it's not 1990, and there are divisions, and I don't know the history, uh, all the history of PECOM and some of the hurt and division that takes place in, in every church. Uh, it's not that we can't have any of it. Trust me, as a church historian, I will tell you, there is division and heartache and heartbreak all the time. But there's something about a broad, welcoming Christian community that is centered on the gospel and relationships. There's something in the Presbyterian Church, USA, on the West Coast, that comes from this amazing woman, the, the remarkable uh, Miss Mears. And it's something that I really, really enjoy and am so lucky to have experienced uh, at PECOM. Over this next season, Jeff Given and I are going to be taking over the PECOM pod. We're going to uh, be doing what we do while, uh, while Pastor Courtney is with Pastor Darrell on sabbatical. We're praying for, uh, for rest and peace for them. Uh, if there's something you would like me to talk about on the PECOM pod, if there's a historical question you have or uh, why has the church done this or that, it's uh, one of my favorite things to bring church history into the context of the local church. And so you can find me on Sundays and, uh, and ask me about that. So I will go ahead and sign off for now. I will sign off how I sign off on my weekend shows with that good word, that Jesus is good news, and on account of that, everything is going to be okay. <laughs>